0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: Charles Templeton was one of the greatest evangelists of the mid-1900s. He and Billy Graham launched huge successful worldwide crusades under the name of Youth for Christ. Uh, Interesting that Billy wrote in his book that Charles was a better preacher than him, a more charismatic person and preacher, and better looking. Yet he's not a name we're familiar with. What happened to him? What legacy did he leave? I'm Debbie Blank. Today we're going to look at Templeton's life for the purpose of examining a very important biblical principle. And
0: I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Christians know that once you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're saved. But after you receive the free gift of salvation, is that it? In other words, are you then saved forever, no matter what you do, or is it possible to backslide and lose your salvation? It's a very important question. So, what does the Bible say? Is it clear or is it ambiguous? Some people say, once saved, always saved. But other people take issue with that, citing stories that can certainly
1: make you wonder. The life of Charles Templeton is one such story. Charles Templeton has an interesting life. He was saved at age 19 in Toronto, where he was born. He started preaching almost right away. During the 40s and 50s, he was engaged, as I said, in worldwide Christian evangelism. After these crusades, he founded a church in Toronto that was so successful, they were turning people away every single Sunday. But concerned with his lack of religious training, he decided he needed to go to a university and learn about the Bible and about God. So he chose Princeton Theological Seminary. Concerned with his need to understand more about the Bible, he went to Billy Graham and he said, Billy, I think you need to come to school with me so that we can in this modern day and age learn more about what the Bible is true, how we can preach it better. Well, fortunately, Billy said no, because turns out the Templeton was concerned over the scientific questions of creationism versus biblical creation that were becoming prominent in that time frame. And so that really was causing him to question the accuracy of the Bible. If we know the story of Billy Graham, he took what Templeton had suggested to him and he struggled with it until he went up on a mountaintop in California right before a major crusade in Los Angeles. And he went on his own to a little place of quiet solitude laid his Bible on a rock and said, God, I don't know if what Charles is telling me is right or not. But one thing I do know is I trust you and I trust your word. And while I don't understand it all, I am choosing to follow you and the word of God as truth and as your word. He went on to have the most successful crusade ever in Los Angeles because he made that decision. And God honored that, making him the greatest evangelist we ever had. Templeton, on the other hand, quit the Crusades. He went on to work for the National Council of Churches and lots of other different organizations. But then he started developing some physical issues, some maladies. And he attributed that to his questions about his faith his disbelief that he was finding he had he finally quit the ministry completely became an editor and a television director and then in 1996 he wrote a book farewell to God my reasons for rejecting the Christian faith yet in an interview with Lee Strobel a few years before he died all he could talk about was his love for Jesus he said Jesus is everything good I know everything decent I know everything pure I know and I learned it all from Jesus. I adore him. And you think, wait a minute, how could a man say that and write a book saying farewell to God? Well, Billy Graham's convinced that on his deathbed, when he talked to Charles, that Charles affirmed his faith in Jesus Christ. But if that's the case, what about all those decades that he turned away from God? Did he lose his salvation? If he lost his salvation, did he regain it again? Can we lose our salvation? Those are all questions that come up as we talk about the story of Charles Templeton or think about people that we know that made a commitment to Jesus Christ, but then for whatever reason, chose to go the way of the world. Our issue today is once we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and savior, and he's the master of our life, can we lose that salvation?
0: The way to find that out is to go to scripture, but some scriptures may seem contradictory on the subject. I know that there are several that people choose to use, but the most important thing is to find out in the context of the entire scripture, what is it that Jesus is saying? Who are we in Jesus Christ? That's the most important thing.
1: Context is king when it comes to studying scripture. We must always look at that and never take one or two verses out of context, when we have dozens times dozens of verses talking about our security in Christ, we can't let one or two seeming verses taken out of context look like we can lose our salvation because we can't. Predominantly, the reason we can't is that our salvation is a free gift from God. We are told in Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So since that gift is free, we don't have to buy it. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to perform for it. It's free. God's never going to take it away. That's against the character of God to give us something and then to take it away. We're going to walk through several different understandings as to who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ so that we can understand that once we have believed in him, we cannot lose that salvation no matter what we do. And again, I will reiterate that salvation is by the grace of God. It says in Ephesians two eight nine, 9 for by grace, have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. If you and I cannot work our way to heaven, then how could we perform poor works or bad works to get us away from heaven? It's all about the grace of God and our faith in God for that grace. We can start out by considering that you and I are accepted in Christ. In John 1.12, we're told that we're a child of God. That says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, how many parents do you know that will divorce their children. I mean, we may want to at different times for their actions, but parents don't do that. As a child of God, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that's why he tells us in Ephesians 2.18 also that we're a member of God's household. In Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 it makes it clear that we've been adopted as God's child according to the kind intention of his will and the glory of his grace. That confirms to us that we are children of God. And that last one's even better because as an adopted child of God, back in the Roman times when that was written, adoption was more permanent than a natural child. If a parent adopted someone outside of their family, they could never unadopt them. That was Roman law. You could disown your own child, but you could not give up an adopted child. They had more rights than your natural heritage had in your own children.
0: That's amazing, I had not heard that. I think that if you're a genetic child, you always are, whether somebody rejects you or not, That, that is a fact. If you're a child of God, you are part of him, the things that you have said, those are our free gifts. It's his action that instigates it. And all we have to do is receive it. It's funny how we like to argue against a free gift. There's hardly anything else that we would argue against if somebody wants to give it to us for free. But maybe this is just too good to believe. We've got more. There are more verses that assure us of this free
1: gift. That's right. We know from 1 Corinthians 620 that we've been bought with a price. And that price was Jesus' blood on the cross. He gave a lot so that we could be his children. He's not going to take that away. And we are one spirit with Christ. In 1 Corinthians six seventeen, it says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. If we are one spirit with him, how do we become not one spirit with him? What could we do that is so bad that we could lose our salvation? There's a lot of bad things, but keep in mind that in God's eyes, sin is sin. So if I sin by speeding down the street or by having a bad attitude, that's sin. That's equated to murdering somebody because sin is sin. There aren't any levels of sin in God's kingdom. Therefore, what sin would cause me to not be saved? That means that every time I did something wrong, I would have to question my salvation. That's just not in the character of God. And we're told in Colossians one thirteen and 14, that we've been redeemed and forgiven of those sins for God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus on the cross redeemed us of our sins. He paid the price. He paid the penalty. All we have to do is believe in Jesus. Our sins are covered. And I don't want to make it sound trite when I say all we have to do is believe in Jesus. It's not just to say, oh boy, that's a trump card I have. I can believe in Jesus and be saved. No, it's an attitude of the heart. Once we believe in our heart who Jesus is and what he's done for us and truly want him to be Lord of our lives, that's when the transition takes place. That's when we're saved. So when we have that assurance of salvation, that's just exactly what we are, is we're assured of our salvation. And it's because Christ has accepted us. He has accepted us by our believing in him and his blood on the cross has then covered all of our sins. He went to the cross
0: once for all. What he did was completed. He said, it is finished on the cross. Even before we were born and committed a single sin, our sins were taken care of. They were paid for if we will only accept that gift.
1: That's right. So because we have accepted that gift, we're significant in Christ. We've already talked about being a family member with him, but it tells us in John fifteen sixteen that I'm chosen and appointed to bear fruit in and for Jesus Christ. I'm even his temple, I'm told in 1 Corinthians three sixteen, which says, do you not know that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? Consider that the temple of God is where God dwelt with his people. There's a key there. If God's spirit dwells in us, can that spirit then leave us by us doing something that would turn God away from us? And the answer is no, because in Ephesians 1.13, we're told that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And that only comes in the context of that passage by believing in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So once we're sealed, it cannot be unsealed if you know the old Roman times, when they sealed something with the signet ring, that could not be unsealed by anybody except the person who sealed it. And in this case, it's Christ who sealed us with the Holy Spirit. They would have to unseal us. And there's nothing in scripture that tells me that Jesus is going to unseal me. In fact, to the contrary, we have assurances that he will not unseal that. That seal is permanent. And according to scripture, I'm Christ's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So once we accept Christ, his Holy Spirit works through us to turn us more into a living example of Jesus Christ. And also we're told in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I can't do this kind of spiritual stuff on my own. It's got to be through Christ who strengthens me. And once he works through me to strengthen me, he's never going to take that away. Even if we turn from him, his Holy Spirit is always going to be working to draw us back to him because the responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to draw sinners to God. And then once we're saved, it's to teach us, it's to grow us, it's to draw us closer to Jesus Christ every day. And that Holy Spirit never leaves us. And that's why Ephesians 3.12, it says, I can have confident access to God through Jesus in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Did you catch that boldness? That means I can always know and I can always stand firmly on understanding that I have confidence. Confidence is recognizing that Jesus and I are one and that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I can never lose that confidence. I may feel like I can, but I can never lose it. And that's why Ephesians 4.12 says that I can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that I'll receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. If we're questioning our salvation or we're questioning our relationship with God, just to draw near with that confidence we have with him so that we can be forgiven and we can walk afresh with Jesus. When I think about the Holy Spirit taking
0: residence in us, we are His temple. Once we accept Him, He indwells us. And we don't have the power to evict Him. We might think we do, but we don't. He has the power to indwell us. Now we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about that. And we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can push it down and pretend like it's not there. But as you said, because that flame is always there. It's always underneath. He's going to bring us back. He's going to pull us back eventually from wherever we're, we're headed if it's the wrong direction. So because we are his, he's going to take care of that. He's not going to let that go awry, and he's not going to let us evict him. But going back to one of the verses that you mentioned, John 15, 1, I am a branch of the true vine. Some people will say, well, doesn't the Bible talk about the vine being pruned what's the answer to that
1: absolutely what you're saying about who we are in christ we have to remember too we're still sinners all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god we will always be sinners while we are alive on this earth we will still make mistakes even though we're children of god Some people, if they continue in those mistakes, will be drawn more and more into the world and away from God. That's when the flame of the Holy Spirit convicts us. We're told in John chapter 16, starting in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. God loves us so much. He doesn't want us to continue walking away from him and his sin, because not only is that against his will, not only can we not serve him, but then we're miserable. When I walk in my sin, when I get angry at something or someone and I continue to fester that. It destroys my spirit and I am miserable. So God uses that Holy Spirit that he has given us to show us that sin and to show us the need for righteousness and to draw us back to him. He's given us the opportunity to ask for forgiveness for those sins. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We just need to be convicted by the Spirit, recognize them and confess them. What happens, unfortunately, is we like wallowing in our sin. We just like to do what we want to do and sin is enticing. So even though we have the Holy Spirit, we will quench the Spirit sometimes, or it will take us a little longer to come into confession before the Lord, saying again our sins to be right with Him. I always use the example of an artery If your artery is clogged, you may be alive, but it's harder to work and your body's struggling more and more to get the oxygen and the health that we need. Well, that's the same way with God. When our arteries are clogged with sin, it's hard to have that open conduit, that open vein to go directly to God because we're feeling guilty. We're feeling shame. We're feeling the sin there. And so we're ashamed to go to God. We're afraid to go to God or we just don't want to. We have to clean up that artery so that we then have that free flowing spirit and relationship with God. And God has given us that opportunity and means to do that. It's our responsibility, however, to do it. Will you turn to God in faithfulness right now? If you're in sin, if you're struggling to talk to God, he knows it. Just confess it to him. He'll forgive you for your sins and he'll help you so that you won't do it again. That's how we open that artery of true faith and grace that we have with God. Now, getting back to our relationship with God, the most important thing we can know is that we are secure in Christ. No one can take our relationship away and we can't give it away or give it up. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're told Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, if you're a new creation, you don't go back to being the old. If you're a worm that goes into a cocoon and becomes a butterfly, it cannot go back into the cocoon. That's the same way with us. And then Galatians 2.20 is very succinct when it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's pretty clear. I've chosen to be crucified with Christ. I cannot be separated from him. And then another one before I turn it over to you, Jackie, another one that I just love is Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am now free forever from condemnation, according to Romans 8.1, which says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation for me ever, how can I lose that? Because then there would be condemnation. And if I've been justified, as Romans 5.1 says, it's just as if I'd never sinned, justified, never sinned, because Christ paid the penalty, Jesus will never take that back, can't be taken back. Penalty's been paid. I'm free
0: I think about when God calls us his child, that means he's a very good parent. He disciplines, but he doesn't disown. He doesn't condemn. We are always his child. So as you described so well, we get disciplined. Sometimes we need to be turned back around, turned back to the way that we are being drawn to by the Holy Spirit but we're never condemned. So I love that verse. And so many times as I'm looking over some of these verses, I see the words never, 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 or I see the word forever, forever, forever. So never the
1: one, forever the other, we're always His. That's a wonderful. God is a covenant-keeping God. He made a covenant with us the moment we accepted Him as Lord and Savior. And that covenant can be seen in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, which is also reiterated in Hebrews eight. God never breaks his covenant. So if we could lose our salvation, God would be breaking his covenant. We'd be making God out to be a liar. And then first Peter one, three says, I'm born again to a living hope. It's not a dying one. It's a living hope that I have once I've been born spiritually and that hope that never dies. It's always there. When we're told in Ephesians 2.6, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I'm a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3.20 tells me. You know, I can never lose my American citizenship. I don't think there's any way that I could do anything that would take it away, even if I was a terrorist. It's the same way with heaven. Nothing can happen to take that away. Basically, we are totally secure in Christ. Romans eleven twenty nine says, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. I mean, because God doesn't break his promises. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I am confident this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, God is the one working in through us and in us through his Holy Spirit, and he's going to continue doing that. So we may squelch the spirit, but the spirit is still going to be there. And this is important to all of us in John 6, 37. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. He won't cast us out for any reason. And John 10, 26, Jesus reminds us, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Romans 8, 35 tells us that I can't be separated from God. And then finally, Romans eight thirty eight and 39, this is such an important passage because it says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. Satan's an angel, by the way, so Satan can't do it. No principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord nothing can separate us from God. So can we lose our salvation? Well, if we can, we make God out to be a liar. We make his word out to be not true. And we know, of course, that that's not the case. God is truth. His word is truth. God's character proves his unfailing love for us and our ability to be able to trust him. And God's word is true so we can believe it and stand on it because it has been proven over and over throughout the centuries to be true as God is true. If we're saying that we can lose our salvation, we're saying we can't trust God. We need to always consider the full counsel of God, which is what you talked about at the beginning, never taking God's word out of context. And we can't interject our assumptions into God's word. You see, we think it makes sense that if we did something really wrong, we could lose our salvation. But that's our assumptions. That is not God and his word. We're not fruit inspectors. Only God knows who's saved and who's not saved. It's not for us to judge others. Remember what John said in 1 John two nineteen: They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. So if a person truly turns away from Jesus Christ, then one must question whether they ever had a relationship with him in the beginning, because a lot of people will pray a prayer of salvation that's simply fire insurance. They think if I pray this, I get to go to heaven, but they're not really making a commitment in their hearts. So some people will think they're saved, but if they do not surrender to Jesus Christ, it's just head knowledge. It's not in the heart.
0: You mentioned fire insurance and how some people pray the prayer so that they won't burn in hell, but they didn't really make a commitment. Some people think of this as their get out of hell free card, that they've said the prayer and they're saved, but they really need to know if they're really saved. I heard someone say one time, you know, if you're put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What if the only witnesses that were allowed were the people who knew you the best? What would they say about you? And would it show that you truly are a believer? But if you really have made that commitment, then you do have the security that we've been talking about. And those verses do apply to you.
1: Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. If we truly call Jesus our Lord, our master, we will do his will. We will want to obey him. He goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawless deeds. So there are people that are going to say, well, I prayed a prayer in church or I went to a Christian church or I grew up in a Christian family and I called you Lord. Well, he's going to say, I never knew you. If we didn't or they didn't confess Jesus as Lord and follow him, according to verse 21, he who does the will of my father. Once we're saved and secure forever in Christ, that doesn't give us a license to sin, to abuse God's grace. It's just the opposite. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. We need to ask forgiveness for our sins. God has given us this free gift of salvation. Use it wisely become closer to Jesus, to share him with others. Anything less than walking in a manner worthy of Jesus is to negate everything that Jesus has already done for us. So now's the time for us to turn to Jesus and say, do I really have a relationship with you? Because a lot of people call themselves Christians, but it's head knowledge. It's not from the heart. All you need to do is confess to Jesus that you're a sinner. Recognize that he's God who paid the penalty for your sin. Surrender your life to him as Lord of your life and let him be the one who leads you and guides you. Do that with a sincere heart and you are guaranteed to be a child of God, to have a relationship with him and he will never leave you nor forsake you.